hope everybody's doing well. Uh, as we approach the end of October already, seems like it's moving quite quickly, at least in my world anyways. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but uh, I usually celebrate my birthday for the whole month, so my birthday's almost over. <laughs> this is what I do when I'm, uh, <laughs> we're getting ready to, uh, we're approaching, we're, we're, we're making our final approach into the Thanksgiving time of season. And we have several weeks before we get there, but we're going to start uh, looking into Scripture, and we're going to start talking about uh, what we can find in about being thankful or things that we can be thankful for, which I don't really imagine that y'all really need a lot of help with that, but it's good to get together as a church family and just remind ourselves and, and together be thankful about things, right? So just kind of know that that's coming and be prepared. I would even encourage you to, if you haven't already uh, done this or been in the habit of doing this, start making you a list today of things that you can be thankful for, things that you already are thankful for, maybe some things that you probably should be thankful for but haven't really noticed or uh, have been ignoring. Whatever the Lord would lead you to do would be helpful because once you get around your family members uh, during Thanksgiving, you don't want to be that one who ruins it for everybody else because you're not, you're not thankful, <laughs> right? Nobody wants to be, uh, nobody really wants to be that person. I'll tell you about this pastor. He's an English, an elderly English pastor who was famous for his pulpit prayers. He always found something to be thankful for in his prayers, even in the bad times. And there was one stormy Sunday, one stormy Sunday morning, when everything was going extremely bad in the community and in the lives of the congregation uh, members and even in his own life, he stepped up to the pulpit once again to engage in prayer and one member of the congregation sat back in his seat and said to himself, the preacher will have nothing to thank God for on this wretched morning. The pastor began his prayer and he says, we thank thee, O God, that it is not always like this. It's hard to get to there, to that point, isn't it? It's hard to see your way through the storm to find the things that are really a blessing or really uh, not so bad or not so terrible as we might believe that they are. Sometimes it takes a brother or sister in Christ to come along and say, hey, I see all this and I see what you're going through, but look at these things too. Because God still loves you and God still wants to bless you. And God is involved in whatever's going on. So just kind of keep that as a side note as we kind of hopefully have the Lord help us get in a place where we can continue to be people of praise and people of thanks, people of gratitude, even in the middle of hardship and, and suffering, should that be the case for you in your world, right? I'm going to go through some uh, Old Testament scripture. I don't have very many slides this morning, just letting you know, and that's mostly because I'm not completely sure how we're going to navigate, what path we're going to take. However, we're, but I got two points to make. All right, here's what we're going to do. If y'all if y'all want to say amen, you do what you normally do, but or you can say thank the Lord. You can do one of those two things for the for this entire sermon series because it's appropriate. So I only have two points in today's sermon. <laughs> nobody nobody said thank the Lord. <laughs> All right. 
If you did, I did. If you did, I didn't hear you. But it's, it's all right. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about some things. I got all these all these pieces of scripture on the board up there. I will not read through them all thoroughly. That's the way you can thank the. It was a thank the Lord moment, y'all. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to help you. All right, Leviticus chapter 10. These are some Old Testament accounts of things that happened between people and God. Right, because today's point that I want to ho- hopefully try to make is that we. I am thankful, and maybe I hope, maybe you will be too, maybe you already are. I'm thankful for not only God's love, but I'm also thankful for God's wrath. Hello? And, every, and somebody, some of y'all is like, what? Nobody wants to be thankful for what we would consider maybe the negative side of the coin or side of things. Everybody wants God to be the fuzzy-wuzzy, love-everybody God. And He does love everybody. And we're going to get to that in, 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 at the end. God does love every person he created. However, there is a side of God that demands payment for sin. There is a side of God that is just. So let's look at some of these things, and then we'll hopefully talk about that. Leviticus chapter 10, there's two guys named uh, Nadab and, Ab- and, Ab- and Abihu. In chapter 10, verses 1 and 3, let me, let me, get, let me, get, let me get over there. Oh, oh, oh. First, we've got to go to the golden calf because I'm going in order. Remember the golden calf? Moses goes on the, Moses goes on the mountain, and, and he left Aaron in charge. He's like, hold the people here. I'll be right back. Well, he wasn't right back, and they got tired of waiting, and they got scared, and they started falling away from the Lord. So they collected all their jewelry, and they threw it in the fire and made a calf so that they would have some kind of God to worship. You know the story. If you read your Bible, you know what it is. You know what happened. So when we go to Exodus chapter 32, we can read the account, it says, look, verse 9, Moses is talking to God, of cha- verse 32, chapter 32, he says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. I would ask you to raise your hand if you feel like you're a stiff-necked person, but I'm not going to do that to you. Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Now, I was reading this uh, all throughout the week, these different stories, trying to get them back in my mind so that I could talk about them. And I was thinking every time I read something like that, where God's anger burned against the people that were supposed to love him, it makes me sit back in my chair and say, what if, what if God feels that way about me? Right? And, 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 I, and it's dangerous because sometimes I sit back in the chair, and maybe you do the same thing. I sit back in the chair and it's like, what if God would ever feel like that about me? And the fact is, he already has felt that way about me because I've sinned. I've made myself an enemy of God in my sin. So, so God's seeing what's happening. They've started worship, worshiping some other man-made God. So Moses goes down the hill, and, he, and he's talking to these guys. He's like, what's going on? What happened here? course Aaron his Aaron who's supposed to be in charge he's like I don't know we threw the gold in the fire and this came out I've been there I've been there I've been in trouble so many times you come up with the funniest things to try to get out of trouble like I don't know what happened everybody knows what happened and and Moses is convincing God not to let his wrath loose on these people and he would be just in doing so and Moses talks to God and says let me go down and talk to him So verse 26, here's what I want to get to. He stood at the entrance of the camp where all the people were worshiping this 
man-made God. He says, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And then all the Levites rallied to him. Verse 27, then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend or neighbor. That's tough right there, isn't it? That's extreme. Don't you think that's extreme? Aren't we thankful that, that, that we don't deal with things like that at God's direction anymore? I mean, think about it. You catch your brother in sin and God says, hey, take him out. That's tough. That's the wrath of God, y'all. Is it wrong? I don't know. Depends on what you believe about God. Is God God? Does he have ultimate authority over all of his creation? Is he just? Is he right? And who are we to say that it's not? Now let's go. Now, now let's go to Leviticus. Leviticus. Now we're talking about Aaron's two sons. You, you notice a common denominator here with Aaron, right? Aaron's got some issues, but don't we all? <laughs> Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they took their censers. Verse one of chapter ten. Took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered, look, unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to His command. Contrary to God's command. So, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So, just previously, in the, previ- in, in the previous chapters of, of, of this same account, it describes how uh, Aaron and his sons were ordained into this ministry to where they were going to into the priesthood, and they were given specific instructions on how to carry out their duties. And without going into a lot of detail for the sake of time, these two fellas decided to do something different than what God said to do in a place that was holy, in a calling that was holy. Don't do this, but in your heart, raise your hand if you've ever thought you had a better idea than God. Don't tell on yourself, right? Whenever God leads us, whenever God gives us instructions, whenever God gives us his word, the do's and don'ts, and this is the way it is, this is the way it's not, this is how you live if you're mine, then that's the way it's supposed to be. Or there will be consequences. Wouldn't you agree? If you have children, you hopefully understand this. I don't know, Some I, I, I think some parents might struggle uh, a little bit. It's hard. It's hard to administer consequences when you're in a place of authority because you love people. You love your children. And you don't want them to have consequences. But you also don't want them to grow up not knowing how to live and be healthy and survive. So there has to be something in place. So they died. They died because they didn't do what God said. They did something other than what God laid out for them to do, and they instantly died, and it was at the hands of God, the same God that we praise every morning, every day, the same God that we sing hallelujah, and we, and we, and, and we preach that he's our Lord and he loves everybody and that he's the one who sent Jesus to die on the cross. This is the same God. Hello? Are you thankful 
that this is the same God? I thank God that this is the fullness of God. I thank God for the fullness of God. If we can't thank God for the fullness of his being and all of who he is, then we don't really have God. We don't really know God. If he's not this God, he's some other God, and we have a lot more problems on our hands. Look at First Chronicles. Oh, come on, let's do this. Look at First Chronicles. Uh, let's go to Joshua first. This, one, this guy right here, it's like, okay, so... Joshua is leading the people to Jericho. God says, okay, here's what I want you to do, and here's how you're going to conquer Jericho. It's going to be obvious that I did this and that you didn't. And they're all like, yeah, let's do that. And they run in there and they do everything that they're supposed to do. The walls of Jericho fall down and they move on. And they get conquered in the next battle. And they're like, what in the world? What happened? And if you read the account, it tells you it tells you that God gave them specific instructions that they were never to take anything from the from Jericho for themselves. It was all for God. Because they didn't do anything to win the battle. They didn't do anything to, to claim the victory. So why should they get the reward? But Achan, my man Achan, he couldn't help it. He saw some things that were so beautiful and so valuable. He was like, nobody will know. You know, when you're in a community of thousands of people, you think you can get away with something when nobody's looking. Nobody has to know about this. I'll just kind of stick it underneath the camel's pack, and we'll just take it on. And then when they got to the camp over at Ai, he buried it in the ground so nobody would visit him and say, hey, where'd you get that at? He, he hid it. But if you read the account, God gathered all of the Israelites, and he started family by family moving them away from Achan. And then it got to smaller groups and smaller groups until it was just Achan standing there. Out of all the Israelites, just Achan standing there. Look at verse 19 in chapter 7, verse 26. says this, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And then Achan, in verse 20, replied, It's true. Look at the exclamation point. This dude is so convicted. He's like, he's called out in, in, in all of the world, God picked him out and said, he's the one. How are you going to hide from that? He's like, it's true, it's true, I did it. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. He couldn't, he couldn't wait to confess at this point. Verse 21, when I saw in, your plunder of, in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with silver underneath. You took some stuff, man. Move over to move over to verse twenty-five now. Joshua said, "Why have you brought this trouble on us?" And then it says, "This the Lord will bring trouble on you today." Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. The rest, his meaning, his family, his household. This is the wrath of God. This is what happens when you decide for yourself to do something other than what the God of all gods say to do or not do. You can't hide from it. You have to accept God for his love and his wrath. Or you don't have God. Now we go to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 
I'm going to go through this one quickly. Basically, I'm going to tell you this story. Basically, this guy, Uzzah, they're, they're, they're moving the Ark of the Covenant. And there are certain ways to do that. You've got to move the Ark of the Covenant the way God told you to move it. You create, you build it the way he tells you to build it, and you move it the way he tells you to move it. There's only certain people that can move it, and it has to be done with these big long poles through these hoops that are connected to the ark so that you don't lay your filthy, sinning hands on what is holy. And they put the ark of the covenant on a cart pulled by an oxen, or a pair of oxen, one or two oxen. And this guy, Uzzah, was in charge of making sure it didn't fall off of them. Well, the animals stumble, the cart moves back and forth, and it looks like the ark is going to fall off of the cart and in the dirt, which is uh, a horrific thought that the ark of the covenant, which is holy, would be laying in a puddle of mud. So uh, as, a, as anybody else in this room would do, naturally, instinctively reach up and try to stop it and put his hands on what is holy put his filthy, sin-ridden hands on what is holy, and that man instantly died because he touched what is holy when he's unclean. Because they didn't listen to God. It's not because God didn't love any of these people. It's not because God uh, uh, hates these people or he's some kind of a monster that he's just looking for reasons to kill people. It's because God is just, he's fair, God. He will not he will not be less than God. And every time we question him, every time we disobey, every time we do something different, every time we fall out of line with his will, we we are treating him as if he's less than what he is. Right? Hold on, we're getting to the good stuff. I, I can see y'all you're just like, "Oh man, this is heavy." It is heavy. Because we're talking about God. It's supposed to be heavy. Because we're talking about our Lord, our Creator, the God of all gods. The only God. Make sense? Don't be other. Acts chapter 4. Everybody's like, well, that's all Old Testament stuff. God's not that way anymore. I've heard people say that. We live in the New Testament now, preacher. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 4. Y'all know the story. You've been there. At the end of chapter 4, they, they're talk, the church is growing. People are being persecuted. The gospel is being preached. The Holy Spirit's having his way. And it says, all the believers were in one heart, in verse 32, in mind. They were all together. And then it talks about how some of the believers started selling their property and offering it to the church so that the church could do more work for the gospel. Right? Which is a great thing. It's not, it's not like commanded, but it was what they, what they were led to do, and it's what they did. So now in verse 1 of chapter 5, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Nothing wrong with that either, except for when they showed up, they were like, hey, we sold our property, and we're giving it to the church. How great are we? When they didn't tell him, they lied. They were saying this was what we got for the property, and they were keeping, they were stealing from from God by lying. They could have just said, "Hey, we, we're going to give you part of our money," and it would have been fine. But they lied. Well, let's go into verse four. The end of verse four, he says, "You have not lied to men, but 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 to God." When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. 
right there, right there, in the, right there and before the leadership of the church. He was like, oh, and then he just fell out and died. Same thing happened later. His wife comes into the room, and she's like, hey, we're going to ask you a question. We want you to be honest. Is this all the money that you guys got for this property? And she was like, well, yeah. But she didn't know her husband had just fell and dead. She didn't know that he went in there and lied. And she knew he was lying, but she didn't know he had been struck dead because he was lying to God. And she was like, yeah, that's all it is. And then she died in the presence of the whole the same God. Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same God. God doesn't change. It has always been the same and always will be. So, so we can't just say, well, Jesus died on the cross and now there's grace so we don't have to worry about the wrath end of things. If we didn't have to worry about the wrath end of things, then none of us would ever repent. Alright. Go to Romans chapter 1. We're getting close, y'all, to the good stuff and I'm going to shut it down after that. There's one amen. I like that. <laughs> verse, chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God, look, listen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That's gospel being preached. This is where the church has already started and uh, people are preaching the gospel of Jesus and salvation all across the known world. And he's saying, look, the wrath of God is being revealed against all of godlessness in the world. Let me let you know that that's still happening today. If you look around, if you look around and you, we shake our heads like, man, there's a lot of people that don't give two hoots about God anymore. People do whatever they want to do in this world. Well, I'm just going to remind you that that's always been going on. They're just not ashamed of it anymore. They're not hiding it anymore. And the wrath of God has always been in place. It's always there. And I thank God for that because let me tell you why. If it wasn't for the wrath of God, I would have had nothing to be afraid of. I would have never, had, I would have never been cut to the heart when I heard the gospel about Jesus being the sacrifice for sins and that I'm a sinner. I would have never come to God and repented because I would have had nothing to be fearful of. How would we ever know how much God loves us if we didn't know about his wrath? I'm thankful for his wrath. I'm thankful for people to, 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 to lay it out here where I can see and read about it and know about it. I'm even thankful. I'm even thankful for being cut to the heart that when I felt God's wrath approaching me in my sin. Thank God for that. Aren't y'all thankful for that? You can't be saved without God's wrath. Here's how I know that's true. Because without God's wrath, there ain't nothing to be saved from. Now, I know some, somebody who's going to hear this message, whether it's today or some other day, they're going to say, well, if that's the case, why does is, why is God's wrath even exist? Why don't God just love everybody and just forget the wrath part of it? Because then he wouldn't be God. I'm, I, I am my son's father because I'm, all, I'm, I'm either all of his father or not, or, or not at all. I can't just be his friend all the time. 
I can't just be his buddy all the time and tell him yes about everything he wants to do or needs to do. I can't just keep giving him stuff and never hold him accountable, never teach him right and wrong, never make it hard for him to learn and grow and make him a man. I wouldn't be his father if I'm doing that. I would just be another dude in his life. And God wouldn't be our father if he didn't hold us to the fire. Because we're not being what he created us to be. Because we're not doing what Jesus died for us to do. Make sense? Anybody who runs to Jesus is because they see the danger. Nobody's ever going to get saved unless they know their sin, unless they know the danger. Nobody jumps into a lifeboat unless they know that the main boat is sinking. Thank the Lord, y'all. I'm thankful for this, y'all. I'm so thankful for the wrath of God. I wish it didn't have to happen for Achan and Ananias and Sapphira and all them people that were worshiping the golden calf, but I thank God that I get to learn about it. Without God's wrath, he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be perfect. He wouldn't be God. And it is and it is a righteous anger. A lot of people say, well, who wants to worship an angry God? I do. Because without the angry God, I don't get the loving God. Without the angry God, I don't get the, the, the grace-filled God. Without the angry God, I don't get forgiveness. Good news, y'all. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, you know what it says. The, the wages of sin is death. The consequences for being an enemy of God, for disobeying God, is death. We just saw example after example of that. John 3.16. Everybody just go like this. Ah, oh, finally. We get to the good news. Man, I tell y'all. As, as much as I'm thankful for God's wrath, I would rather talk about his love. I would rather talk about his love because it's never-ending and it's so abundant. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. The, I think one of the most powerful words in there is so. He, he, didn't, just he didn't just love you. Or some, some of the young people say, lure you, because they're lazy. They don't want to say the whole word, it's lure you. Right? They, he didn't just love you because, you know, he's a nice person or a nice being. He so loved you. It's a deep passion for you that he would send Jesus into this world for the purpose of experiencing the wrath of God for you. Hello? Now, now we're thanking God for, for some wrath mixed with some love. That, you know what John 3.16 tells me? That God, God loved me more. God's love for me is more than his wrath for me. His anger over me. Hello? Thank the Lord there. 
That, that statement, that fact, should make you thank God for the rest of this day and hopefully for the rest of your life. That means whenever something bad's happening, whenever trouble goes on, whenever loss happens, whenever stress is going on, you don't get your way, somebody's act, whatever the case is, and you're just having a bad day, at least God loves me that much. Because the only other, the only other alternative is that we just stay in his wrath. Hello? First John chapter 4, let's read that together. Love 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to read through it a little bit. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, everyone who loves, uh, love comes from God. Hold on, I had to look through. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How many times can I say love in that? Maybe, maybe you're asking yourself, how can, how can a, a just God who has every right to be righteously angry in a, with all of God's being, his wrath is anger. It's like you, we, can't even, we can't even explain the magnitude of anger and wrath there is when it comes to God and his enemies what's unholy but since we just read that this bible just verse 9 says that god is love if he is it doesn't say in the scripture that he is wrath it says he is love hello that means love wins that means love conquer, conquers it all no matter how angry God could get, and rightfully so, love will always overcome that. That's how I. That's how. That's the only way I can understand how. How does a guy like Moses, who doesn't want to talk, doesn't want to do what God called him to do to start with, argue with, stand on the holy mountain and argue with God, because God's like uh, them people down there are worshiping some other thing that they created, and I'm ticked about it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wipe them all out. And Moses has the audacity to argue with God. It's like, God, wait a minute, hold on, God. Now let's think about this. I don't know how it went. It's just what it's just what I pictured. What? I can't even imagine being in his holiness, in all of his authority, all of his righteousness, all of his perfection. And he says, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm mad about it. It's not going to happen anymore. And Moses is like, hold up, hold up. You think Moses might have experienced something that we didn't know at the time? Because he was in God's presence, maybe he experienced the love of God more than he experienced the wrath of God. This is how people get saved. 
Because the love of God, we just read in, in 1 John chapter 4, that the love of God is in us to our believers. And it lives in us. And we share it with one another. And we go out into the world and let that love go out into the world. How is anybody else going to know that God's love is real? I, I believe that the wrath of God can be experienced by all people who are in sin. We wouldn't make excuses for our bad behavior if we weren't guilty. If we didn't believe we were guilty of it. Right? Every time I was guilty of anything, as a child or an adult, I immediately started making up excuses. Started making some tale that was going to tell to make it justified. Which was pit- it was awful. It was awful to think. It was pathetic. I could not come up with a good story to save my life. But I told him anyway, because I was guilty. Nobody had to tell me I was guilty. I knew I was guilty. You know when you're guilty. You know when you're standing in a place in, in the middle of God's wrath, or at least in line with it. You know it. In, all, in, the, in that scripture that I just read, well, let's read verses 13 and on in, and then we'll talk about this. It says, verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Thank the Lord for that. And, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Lord for that. If anyone, know, uh, any, anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God gives him and uh, God lives in him and he, he in God. Thank the Lord for that. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This keeps getting better and better. God is love. Again, it says that whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. Verse 17, in this way, love is made complete among us. Love is made complete, perfect, can't get any better, because it's God. God is love. So, so, that, we will, look, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, y'all. You and I, if we're believers... I don't mean just that you believe. I mean that you've submitted yourself to the truth about Jesus and God's love. Because Satan believes that Jesus is the Christ. Make sense? If you've stepped into this love of God, if you've stepped into Christ through faith, repentance, baptism, forgiveness of sins, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can have confidence before this holy God who is love. And if that's not true for you, then you should be very afraid. And you, you should actually be shaking in your shoes right now because nobody is promised another minute in this world. And if you know some people who aren't saved, who aren't living in this love, you should be scared for them. You should be broken for them. And you should be doing everything that God would lead you to do to help them understand and help them take advantage of the opportunity that we have through Christ. Verse 18 says, look, oh, this is going to set y'all free right here. There is no fear in love. Now, I don't know about you, but if I find myself in sin from time to time like we all do, and we have to go before God and repent, we praise God, I'm thankful for repentance, the opportunity, right? I'm still shaking. I don't want to tell him what he already knows. I've already, I mean, I already feel so bad about it. I'm so ashamed of myself. I don't even want to say it out loud. Because I already know he knows. 
I already know what I deserve. And I already know that his love will cover it all and that I don't deserve it, but I need it. So somehow or another, with quivering lips and a shaking heart, I stand whimpering in front of a holy God and say, once again, Lord, I need your love. Once again, I need your forgiveness. But I do it with confidence, knowing that he's not going to kick me out. He's not going to administer the punishment that Jesus took for me on the cross already. Whatever happened on the cross was enough, y'all. That's Hebrews. We just studied on Wednesday nights. If you missed it, go back and check it out. so thankful for God's wrath and for God's love. I hope you are. We, we, we celebrate Easter every year. I hope you celebrate it every day. But we celebrate it every year, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. Can you imagine these people calling themselves Christians get so excited about this brutal act that killed a man and we praise God and we're so thankful for Jesus and his death on the cross are you thankful for the cross are you thankful for his death burial and resurrection then you're thankful for his wrath because what happened on the cross is God's wrath and God's love collided and love claims the victory isn't it great, y'all? This is, how, this is how God, who is just and right, can collect on the debt and forgive it at the same time. Only God can do that. And only God has done that. Because I don't know about you, but I try, my, I try my best to forgive those who offend me. But we don't always get that right, do we? We, don't, we can't love people the way God does. As much as we try, as hard as we try, we can't love people the way God does. We can get better at it. But let me tell you something. If you're not saved, if you haven't understood this gospel, if you haven't come face to face with God's wrath so that it would lead you to God's love, we need to pray. We need to sit down. I don't even talk about, I'm not even going to talk about having lunch. That's a distraction. Let's sit down in a room and me and you, we're going to talk about all of this in detail. Because if you, if you leave this world and you haven't accepted God's love, you will for eternity live in his wrath. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because you rejected him. Isn't that great? We're going to sing a song right now. If we're saved, we're experiencing God's love, and we've escaped God's wrath, and we know it, we ought to sing like somebody died for us. If you're not saved, there's no reason to wait to come down here and say you believe everything I just said and that you want to live in that love. And we can, we can baptize you right now if you want. It's what you need. It's what we all need. Y'all ready? Let's stand up together and sing.